and mud, if you will, on his eyes. He told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll be healed. So he did. He went to the pool of Siloam, he washed his eyes and he could see. Immediately then, people started asking him questions. How did this happen? And who did this? And you know, what's going on? He was pretty well known. Uh, he had been a beggar in that area for many, many years. And so um, this conflict, they started out with people just asking him, but then they took him to the Pharisees, these religious leaders and these uh, religious powerful men, and they examine the man, and then they examine the man's parents to see if he was indeed born blind. And where we're picking up today is where they start examining him for a second time. So they examined him, they examined his parents, and the parents kind of put it off on him. And so they examine him. And we're going to pick up in verse 24. And I've entitled the message today, Double Vision. And um, our, our subtitle will be, A Healed Beggar Debates the Pharisees. Um, and more specifically then, he comes to the second vision, which we'll talk about as we work through the message. If you're able to stand for the reading, please do. John 9, beginning in verse 24. John 9, beginning in verse number 24. We'll read to the end of the chapter today. Then again, they called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that although I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did, he t- what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. For what reason would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, here is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if any man is a worshiper of God, and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were altogether born in sins, and do you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, And it is he who talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see might see, and that those who see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask your grace and the help of your Holy Spirit. I ask that I would speak every word that you want spoken. and That the truth of this passage and the, the view that we would have of you would be helped and strengthened. I pray for any who are spiritually blind and lost in sin that they would come to faith today. 
I pray for those your children, that they would see you in, in fullness and in greatness and that you would be exalted here. I pray that we would not be deceived like the Pharisees, but rather may we be having our eyes fully opened like this blind man. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in high school, I got to play soccer, and I loved playing soccer quite a bit. And um, man, when you play soccer, this is a little side note, when you play soccer, you are fit because you run, run, run constantly. And I remember at that age, I could eat as much of anything as I wanted, and it would not touch me in the least. Um, then I went to college, and everything changed. But, um, but when I was playing soccer, there was a tournament we went to about an hour away. And I can't remember if it was the first or second game of the tournament where uh, there, a ball was kicked from a goalie, and I was the forward. So the goalie way on the other end of the field, he kicks the ball very high. I was the forward. So I was running kind of backwards towards our goal this way. And our other forwards were running on the sides of the field. And I was trying to jump up, and I was going to head the ball to one of them. And of course, there was a defender coming up this way behind me, whom I did not see. And I jumped as high as I could, and I flicked my head. And when I, when I flicked it, I twisted it like this as hard as I could. And his skull was right there. And so I broke my nose. Now, I didn't know that at the moment. So I dropped to the ground, and I was in a lot of pain. And immediately, I had you know, water slash tears just coming down automatically, involuntarily, just rushing down. And I was laying there on the ground. And you know what they do. This is the classic thing. Everyone huddles around. Someone says, are you okay? And then they do like this. How many fingers am I holding up? How many fingers am I holding up, right? And I don't remember what number I said, and I don't know if I got it right or not, but I did get taken out of the game. And uh, later, I really pushed my coach to put me back in, and I actually did play some more, and I even scored a goal. And later the next day, my massively swollen nose went down a little bit, and there was a huge curve in it. So yes, I had to have surgery and get it fixed. That uh, idea of how many fingers am I holding up, seeing more than one set of fingers, we call that double vision. Double vision. You know, you can get double vision if you have a head injury. If you're having trouble with your eyes, you can have double vision. You know, one example of that would be where you go to church and someone says, turn around, and instead of seeing one clock on the wall, you see two clocks on the wall. That's one way you know that you have double vision. All right. If you, if you don't understand that, just turn around. You'll see the two clocks on it. It's a joke, okay? You're fine. There's nothing wrong with your eyes. There's, there actually is two clocks on the back wall. But um, this man in the story, he started out by having no physical vision or spiritual vision. And at this point where we're picking up today, Christ has healed him physically. And he's able to see for the first time in his life, he's been born blind. We cannot fully enter into that experience, can we? to consider going year after year after year without vision, and then suddenly to have, uh, to have vision again. But the good news of the story is that Jesus is not yet done with this man. And this man is not yet done with Jesus. And we're going to see how this progresses. So the way I've kind of structured the message today is we're going to look at spiritual blindness displayed, and then we're going to look at spiritual healing displayed, and lastly, we'll end with a word about spiritual judgment. Uh, you know, if, if you could imagine this blind man, how would you celebrate the first day that you got to have vision? What would you see? Now, part of that is you don't know what you don't know, so you kind of don't know how you should spend that day, right? Because 
It's just, it's just there upon you. But in a, in a perfect world, this man probably would have gone to see green pastures and flowing waters and beautiful mountains and hills and maybe saw the sunset, right? That's how he would spend, in a perfect world, your first day with eyes, right? To see some beautiful sights. I mean, you're not going to want to waste that day, right? But this man, unfortunately, he got to spend his first day by being interrogated by a panel of crotchety old men who were very upset and very frustrated with this man. These men had already settled their conclusion and, and they were seeking a way to squeeze the facts to conform to that conclusion. You know, some people don't want to just let the facts speak. They would rather choose a conclusion and then go out and manipulate facts or find facts that somehow uh, support that conclusion. That's a dangerous way to live and think, isn't it? Um, especially when it comes to the Bible and to religion, um, to just choose the end and then sort of manipulate facts. But that's precisely what these Pharisees are doing. So let's begin in verse 24. And um, I want to real quickly uh, kind of work through this, and we'll look at this idea of the spiritual blindness first. And we're looking, focusing more on the Pharisees as we work through this spiritual blindness. But um, in verse 24, we see here a false... Uh, a false knowledge, excuse me, yes, false knowledge, verse 24. Then again they called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. They call him back in. They say to him, Give God the praise. Um, it could be like a formal swearing in statement, like kind of just a phrase that they would say, or they could have meant it very literally. Give God the praise and not this guy, Jesus. We know that this man is a sinner. Right? They say that they know that he's a sinner. And unfortunately, these Pharisees are displaying one of the first traits we see of this spiritual blindness. False knowledge. Uh, they say, we know that this man is a sinner. Right? They're concluding of Jesus that Jesus is a sinner, and therefore because he's a sinner, he is not to be trusted or he's not to be an authority. And unfortunately, one of, the, one of the traits of spiritual blindness is that people know things that are just not accurate. Um, uh, I think there was a, a famous quote, uh, and I'll probably adapting it a little bit here from Ronald Reagan, but the trouble with the opposition is not that they're ignorant, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. And that's precisely the idea here with these Pharisees. We know that this man is a sinner. Well, actually, that's not true. He, he wasn't a sinner. But you know what? They were using a measuring stick that was not the Scripture. They were not accurately understanding the law and applying that to Jesus. They were bringing their own definitions, right? And boy, don't we see that sometimes today with people using their own definitions for things and, and kind of coming along with their own measuring stick. The Bible teaches us what God expects. And sin is sin if the Bible determines it to be sin. Not just because I stand up and say something's wrong, right? One of the effects of spiritual blindness is this idea of a false knowledge. Knowing things or trusting things that are not so, that are not the case. That is something that, that helps me so much where we stand today, is we have a completed and a trustworthy Bible, and when God says it's so, it's so. We don't, we don't have to sit here and wonder and say, boy, I wish I could just know the truth. No, the Bible is the truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. So those in spiritual blindness struggle with this false knowledge in verse 24. So in verse 25, he, he gives his answer, 
And we'll see this more as we review it through a second time. But whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that although I was blind, now I see. What a response, right? What a response he insists that, well, um, I can see. Now in verse 26, they come back again. And this is their, their response again. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So I call this in verse 26 a refusal to learn. This is a refusal to learn. And sometimes when those who are in spiritual blindness, they're presented with truth. And it's as though it falls on deaf ears. It's like, here's what the Bible says. Here's the truth of the matter. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, no, they're not going to accept that. And in this passage, they're asking him the very same questions that they had already asked him. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes when people ask you a question and you give them the answer, they don't like the answer you give, right? So then they ask the question a second time, hoping you're going to give them a different answer. It's like, well, I already, I already told you the answer. I already told you what was what. And why do you expect me to, to change my story? And that's his exact response. But for these who are in spiritual blindness, they have this refusal to learn, a refusal to acknowledge what is being presented. And um, it's, it's a very sad thing, but sometimes when you share the gospel and you share what the Bible says about salvation, people will kind of sometimes just go around in circles. And it's like, well, but if we accept this as true, this is the Bible, this is God's holy word, if we accept this as true, what does that then mean? And, uh, and there's a, a rejection, and sometimes that rejection is phrased with just repeated questions over and over, and a refusal to accept those answers. Verse 26 shows us that with the questions, and in verse 27, he simply says, I've already told you, I've already shared with you the answers to these questions. Why are you continuing to ask me? But his final question is the one that really ticks them off. Look at verse 27. Will you also be his disciples? Oh boy. <laughs> you have to remember, you have to remember the picture of this. And it's, you know, we're trying to put ourselves into the story a little bit, but this man was a beggar. I mean, he was a low down, looked down upon nothing and a nobody. And for years, these Pharisees had paid him zero attention. They didn't care about this guy what, one little bit. But all of a sudden, Jesus enters the story, and Jesus heals him, and all of a sudden, he becomes the center of this controversy. And you have to remember, this is probably a guy that never went to school. I mean, in this era, people with limitations were really shoved to the side. They were not given accommodations. They were not treated with respect. They didn't, people invested no time in them. So this guy has gone from like the bottom of the shelf of society to suddenly being this center figure. And here he is in this debate with these learned rabbis and these powerful Pharisees. And these are like big names. These are big religious leaders. And you have this panel of people peppering him with questions. And here he is, the first day in his life that he can see anything. And he is taking these Pharisees on. And he's asking, he's speaking things they don't want to hear. And he's asking questions that they don't want to answer. And all of a sudden, they're getting put on the spot. And he asks them this question. Why are you asking me a second time? Do you want to be his disciples? Do you want to follow after him? Do you want to respect this guy? Do you want to embrace this man? Do you want to be his disciple? you want to follow him? Well, what we see is their response in verse 28 is mocking. Verse 28 says, Then they, what's that next word? Reviled him. The word revile 
is, is a strong word. It speaks of mocking. It speaks of verbal barbs. And, uh, you know, one other passage that you might be familiar with is when Jesus was on the cross and the two thieves were, were mocking him. And um, the phrase the old King James uses there, it uses the phrase, cast the same in his teeth. And the idea of casting in the teeth, you know, it's just that idea of insults, right? And the mocking and the barbs. And it says here they reviled him. And can I just point out that one trait of spiritual blindness is mocking. When people are being presented with truth and they don't like truth and they don't respond to truth and they resist the Word of God, they resist the truth of the Word of God, one of the responses is mocking. They don't have a good answer, so they just make fun. And they, they, uh, they insult and they put people down and they speak verbal, uh, verbal barbs and, and verbal swords, if you will. And, uh, and we see here that this response shows their spiritual blindness. Now, the second part of the verse continues and shows more of their spiritual blindness with man worship. Look at verse 28. You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. So here, with their response about Moses, they say, oh, now, we're, we're already disciples of someone. We're disciples of Moses. We follow after Moses, and we know that God spoke to Moses. But this guy, we don't, we don't know if God's... We don't know where he's from. We don't know the, the background there, but we trust Moses, and we follow him, but we don't trust Jesus. You know, there's a whole religion that says this very same thing today. And it's the religion of Judaism. They trust Moses. They do not trust Jesus. And simply put, what happens in any other religion other than Christianity is they trust the words of some man more than they trust the words of Jesus. It's very simple when you boil it down like that. In Christianity, we place the word of God and the words of Jesus above all other human words. And we follow them before we'll listen to anyone else say anything else. Word of Jesus, word of God, above all else. But here they say, oh, we are Moses' disciples. And false religion and spiritual blindness will always exalt someone up above Jesus. It will always lift someone above Jesus. And sometimes it's as simple as this. Oh yeah, well, I just follow my own heart. Well, who are they lifting above Jesus? themselves. They're lifting their own heart and their own self above Jesus and His words. And in Christianity, if you're ever going to be a true Christian, if you're ever going to be born again as the Bible speaks of, you have to come to a place where you put the Word of God, the words of Jesus, above all other words, above all other people. That Jesus would be the highest and everyone else would fall underneath that. And so you have to, you have to remember, here's this panel of religious men saying, we are followers of Moses, but you are followers of this guy. You're a follower of this guy. Well, who is this guy to this man? He's the one that just gave him his eyes back. And I, I think he's looking at them and he's saying, what do you have to offer? And he's looking at Jesus saying, what does he have to offer? And I think he's saying, the choice looks pretty clear to me because you're all just upset that I got my eyes back and you're trying to change the facts and be dishonest and he just simply healed me. Of course, I, I want to listen to him. I'm going to look to him. I'm going to trust what he has to say. But instead, these men lift Moses up above Jesus. Did God speak to Moses? Yes, he did. The first books of the Bible were given by Moses. But the Bible says God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past, 
through the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Jesus also said of these Pharisees, If you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. John 5, we already passed through that. You know, this, this jumped out to me a little bit, and I never put these two passages together, but if you were with us back in John, do you remember in John 3, when Nicodemus the Pharisee first came to Jesus by night, what were the first words out of his mouth? We know, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you, you do except God be with him. Interesting that, that Nicodemus would say that, and he says, we know that. We being the Pharisees. We being those men that he was a part of. And Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. And here, years later, this is years later in John 9, towards the end of the ministry of Jesus, these Pharisees are saying to this blind man, we don't know where this guy is from. Sounds like they've kind of reinterpreted things, haven't they? That's how some people do with Jesus. They start out with a lot of respect or whatever, and then as time goes by, they, they continue to lower and lower and lower their view of Jesus. As we get to spiritual sight and spiritual healing, we'll see the opposite in that instance. Moving on then, as we look further down, we see that this spiritual blindness is also shown in verse 30 with their willful ignorance. Their willful ignorance. And he, he lays it straight to them, what he says in verse 30. The man answered and said to them, Why, here is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. This blind man, he says, Look, this isn't that complicated. This isn't strange at all. Now, he uses the word marvelous, and it's not a compliment, okay? He's, he's astounded with these guys. And all around when Jesus would do things, the Bible will say that people marveled at his works, and people marveled at his miracles. And now he says of the Pharisees, this is in a negative context, how, what a strange thing that causes me to marvel at you because he's opened my eyes who, and I've never been able to see. I was born blind. He's opened my eyes. And you say, we just don't know where he's from. They were not willing to face up to the fact. And this is that willful ignorance. It kind of matches up with that false knowledge and that refusal to learn that we started out with. But this is that willful ignorance of not even wanting to consider the facts. Not even wanting to think about the truth. And oh, if I could just urge you that truth is freedom. In truth is freedom. And the ultimate truth, the ultimate truth is Jesus. And the ultimate freedom is Jesus. And all things that fall under that, that is still true. I do not want to be a person that goes around believing lies. Do you? I don't want to believe lies. I don't want to believe falsehood and myth. And I want to believe what's real. I want to know what's real. And, and he says to them, this is astounding. You say you have no idea where he's from, and yet he has opened my eyes. He goes on to say in the next verse that since the world, let's see here, in verse 32, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one who was born blind? You can see where he's going with this. This has never happened before. And here you are saying that um, you have no idea where he's from. Of course, he is from God. Look down to verse 34 now. This is their final response to this man. Verse 34. They answered and said to him, You are altogether born in sins, and do you teach us? And they cast him out. 
This is the final picture of spiritual blindness in the passage. And this is what I just call it cancel culture, but it's just a, a rejection because they don't want to listen. It's, it's a shutting off, a turning away of someone simply because of what they say. Notice carefully what they actually say, and this is important. It's almost like one of those Freudian slip moments. Verse 34, you were all together born in sins. Now, what they're saying here, and they don't come out and say it, but they, they actually said it, is that he was born blind. Because if you remember at the beginning of the story, the disciples asked Jesus, was he born blind because of his parents' sin or because of his sin? And they're pointing the finger at when this is all said and done, they say, you were born in sins, and the implication is what? We were not. You were born in sins, and you think you're going to teach us, the people who are not born in sin? And, and they're just shutting him off and they're kicking him out the door and they're, they don't even hear what they're saying because they've already admitted this part of the story now. They wanted it to be that he wasn't born blind and they tried so hard that he wasn't born blind. But at the end of the story, they're like, oh, you can't talk to us about spiritual things. You were such an evil, born-in-sins person that you were born blind and were blind all these years, so you can't talk to us. Has anyone ever made you feel that way? You can't tell me anything. I, I got a PhD. You can't tell me anything. I have 40 years of experience in the blah, blah, blah. And instead of actually listening to what the man is saying, they dismiss the man. I took a logic class once in college, and it talks about attack. They call it ad hominem, which just means against the man. And for some people, when they start losing the argument, they just start calling you names and they stop talking to you. Right? And in this passage, this man who has had zero logic classes and zero classes on debate and probably zero classes on religion and has never read the Bible with his own eyes has simply learned one thing. This man healed my vision. And what he did with this is he built upon that fact. He resp that was reality to him. He knew he could see. He knew this man had healed his eyes. And he wasn't going to lie about it. He wasn't going to pretend it didn't happen. He was going to take that fact, stand on that fact, and let whatever truth came out of that be. And that's where we have to be in our present day and time when we know the Word of God is true and we know the Scripture is true and we know that Christ is the Son of God. We have to take that fact and then let it be. Let it be everything and let it every truth and every other piece that comes from that, just let it be. But Satan keeps seeking to attack that, doesn't he? Satan wants to turn us away from the truth. And here's a blind man who's been healed and he's not willing to lie about it to pretend it didn't happen. Can I just remind us that as believers, if God has saved us, may we never, ever, ever pretend it didn't happen. May we never act as though it wasn't a big deal. No, it was a big deal. It was the best day of my life. It was the most important moment of my life. And there's nothing that can compare to that. So he's refusing uh, to, to move on this point. So they just kick him out of the synagogue. We mentioned this last week. That, uh, that they, uh, this kicking him out was probably a, a, it could have been a short-term thing or it could have been a permanent thing. Usually it was like you're out for 30 days and then you kind of have to come back and repair things and maybe they'll let you back in. And, but it, it was a shunning. People would turn away from this man and so the parents were very scared about being cast out of the synagogue. So they tried not to answer questions. And they said, oh, talk to him, oh, talk to him. They didn't want to be cast out. So here's this man, and he has a very different re response. He says, I'm going to speak the truth. 
I'm going to say what happened. I'm not going to make it up, pretend it. I'm not going to shave the details. I'm going to say what is. And they cast him out. They kick him out. Can I just say, this moment of being cast out of the synagogue was a big reproach. Shameful. It's a sad day for a Jew to be kicked out of the synagogue. It's very similar. In fact, in, in the original King James, they had marginal notes on the side. And when it says kicked out, they have a marginal note. It says excommunicated. We know that word, don't we? Excommunicated. Kicked out of the church is how we use that word excommunicated today. What a sad day. What a sorry moment. But do you know that this was the best moment of his life because of what was going to come next? There, you say, well, the healing. Yes, the healing was a huge moment. But this being kicked out of the synagogue was what set him up for what's going to come next. They kick him out of the synagogue, and where did they kick him? Where did they send him? I love what uh, one commentator said. They said, do you know where they cast him out? Right into the arms of Jesus. You know, some people come to faith in Christ after a devastating loss. And you know what? If you lose a fortune, or if you lose a family member, or if you lose some other valuable, valuable thing, and yet you find faith in Christ, you know what just happened? You made a great trade. You made a great trade. After this man comes to faith in Christ, believe me, he didn't go, oh man, I wish I was back in the synagogue. No! He said, I have found the Son of God! And they kicked him out, but that was what set him up for the very next moment. And now we're going to see him, and I love this, such a beautiful, beautiful section. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him. Jesus knew that they had cast him out. And Jesus goes seeking him. Jesus goes looking for him. And he finds him, and he talks to him, and what does he say? Do you believe in the Son of God? He challenges him about this. Do you believe in the Son of God? Now you have to think through this answer. He answered and said to him, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? It kind of sounds a little strange because we're like, how, how do you not know who he is, right? Do you realize that when this man met Jesus before, he couldn't see? He was blind. And Jesus sent him off to the Pool of Siloam. And Jesus didn't walk with him to the Pool of Siloam. Jesus didn't like hold his hand the whole way and help him bend over. That's not how the story went. The blind man went alone to the Pool of Siloam. So what this means is this blind man has never in his life laid eyes on Jesus. He just got his eyesight back. So the only thing he has to go on with the, do you believe in the Son of God? The only thing he has to go on is his ears. The voice. And there's a, a, kind of a similar story with Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. Do you remember how Jesus asked her a question and she answers and, and then he says, Mary. And then she recognizes his voice. So here, here Jesus answers, you have both seen him and it is he who talks with you. And at that moment, he knew this was the one who healed me. This is the one. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Let's real briefly go back through and let's look now through the eyes of the man and let's see spiritual healing displayed. And what I, what I call this spiritual healing is simply kind of the process and the heart that leads up to a person receiving Christ, to having their eyes open and saving faith. Verse 25, we see him answer these men, 
Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that although I was blind, now I see. I call this the starting point of truth. The starting point of truth. There was a piece of truth that he knew was true, and he would not let it go. I made mention of it earlier. But he said, I know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. I know this truth. And you see, what's happened is this fact that he wouldn't let go of was something that led him down this path. You know, for some lost people, they have a different truth that leads them to salvation. You say, what do you mean different truth? What I mean is some other piece of the truth that's not the ultimate truth of saving faith. So, for instance, some lost people will say this, I believe the Bible is God's word and it's true. Catholic folks will say that. Sometimes anyone who was raised in a church might say that. And you know what that is? That's a piece of truth that's very true. That's very important. But it's a truth that if they follow on with that truth and they build on that truth, it's going to do what? It's going to lead them to saving faith in Christ. And, and this man said, I don't know about the sinner and the not a sinner and all that stuff. I know this one thing. I was blind and now I see. And to... Follow and respond to truth. There is a spiritual law that says if, if God gives you a truth and you respond to it, He'll give you another. And that's true. That is, that is reality that as God shows you something and you seek after it and you seek to embrace it and live it, God will show you more. He will open your eyes further. So he started out with this starting point of truth. Look at verse 27. He says, I have told you already and you did not hear. For what, notice this, for what reason would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? I call this his sincere motive. Now he's asking the others about their motive. He says, what is your reason? What is your reasoning? What is your purpose? What is your heart and motive here? But for someone who is having their eyes opened by the Lord and they're coming to this point of receiving Christ, a sincere motive is very, very important. Some people ask questions and they ask so out of sincerity, right? Other people ask questions out of doubt and out of rejection, right? Let's face it, in the passage, we heard a lot of questions from these Pharisees. But their motive was not because they wanted to embrace Jesus, was it? it their motive wasn't even that they wanted to find the truth. Their motive was to try, try to find a way to undermine the story. They had a very insincere motive. And if a person comes to the truth, some piece of the truth, right, and they have a sincere motive saying, I want to respond, I want to follow, I want to embrace this, it will lead them further in having their eyes opened. Look to verse 31. We actually see this in several verses, but we'll just focus on it here. Verse 31. He says again, Now we know that God does not hear sinners. I'm sorry, this is the, uh, the, uh, the man talking. But if any man is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. That phrase, God does not hear sinners, is, is important and I think what the man is trying to say is that Jesus is not just like any other man. He's not just like the run-of-the-mill ordinary person. And we know this because that God does not hear sinners. And this is one of those statements that's it's true and untrue all at the same time. There's a, there's a, a truth to it. And the Bible does say that, um, that he has separated himself from sinners and he will judge sinners and that... Um, and that he does not hear their prayers to, to some degree. There's a, a refusal to accept them. Let's put it that way. It's not as though he doesn't hear them literally, right? But the Bible also teaches us that if we turn in faith as a sinner, he will receive us, right? But this man is saying, uh, 
this person is different because the normal person is a sinner. And there's an awareness that he has about sin, that the average people are sinners, and this Jesus man is different. He's not just like the average person. He has a power that everyone else doesn't have, and clearly one of the ways that makes that different is this area of sin. And, and so there is an awareness of sin, a sin consciousness, if you will. And in, in a broader sense, when we speak of coming to place your faith in Christ, there does have to be an awareness of sin, a sin consciousness. Um, I remember as a child, uh, you know, hearing the gospel and I heard things explained to me. But I remember when I got older where I was very aware of the sins that I had committed and I felt guilt for them. And for me, when I trusted Christ finally at the age of 12, where I placed my faith in Christ, for several years before that time, I had a, a sense of guilt and I was burdened about my sin. And if, if a person has no consciousness of sin or I've ever sinned, they're not going to be saved, right? Because salvation is God's forgiveness of our sin. That's what it is. And so if someone says, oh, I'm a good person and God doesn't really have any reason to be upset with me. I mean, I'm a very good person. Well, that person's not ready to be saved, right? And we do see in a small way here, this man's admitting that regular people sin. This Jesus one does not. Let's move also to verse 33. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. I call this a savior sensitivity, verse 33. He says, clearly, this man is different. He has power. He, he's, he's not just like us. And he says earlier, like, in the whole time since the earth began, have we ever heard of anyone who's opened the eyes of someone who was born blind? And the answer is no. No one has ever heard of that. So clearly, this one is different. Save your sensitivity. If you believe Jesus is just like everyone else, he's just an ordinary man, he's just an ordinary, regular fellow and nothing more, then there's nothing about the Savior to draw you to him. If he's just a regular guy, what are we doing here? I mean, why are we singing about him 2,000 years later, right? But this man's saying, clearly there's something different about this one. Clearly he's not just a man and nothing else. Clearly, look at what he's done. Look at the miracle. Look at the power here. He has to be from God. He has to be uh, special and unique. And if you're to be saved and to place your faith in Christ, you have to see him as the rescuer, as the almighty deliverer, as the one, the Lamb of God given for your sin. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One. And God says in Acts 4.12, there is not salvation in any other name. And, um, and so the scripture is very clear that he is unique, that he is different, and he is the only son of God. Verse 38 I love how it says this, and he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I just call this the step of faith. This is where a person places their faith in Christ. They believe. They receive Jesus for who he is and for what he did. And at this point, this blind man did not understand every little detail about the prophecies and all these things. But do you know the simple question that was asked him in verse 37 is, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe that I am the Son of God? There was an awareness, I believe, of sin, and there was an awareness of who Jesus was, the Son of God. And he placed his faith in Christ. Now the next phrase says that he worshipped him. 
What does that mean? What does it mean when it says he worshipped him? Well, it doesn't mean that he broke out into song. Okay, because a lot of times we think music and worship and we kind of use them as synonyms. No, actually the word very specifically means that he got down on his face on the ground. Just like this. Now, you've got to remember, for a Jew to bow down and worship a man, that was a big statement. That was a huge statement. And it's very clear that he embraced Jesus as the very Son of God, as God come down from heaven, as the one worthy of worship that should only be offered to God. He worshipped Him. He bowed down with His face on the ground. You talk about a powerful story of the deity of Christ. It's right here. We must conclude with spiritual judgment. Verse 39. This is the final capstone of the text. And it is a strong word of warning. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see might see, and that those who see might be made blind. Jesus says he came for judgment. Now, this judgment has not yet been fully realized, right? The final judgment is yet to come. But he even says that even now there is a judgment in that those who see are made blind and those who are blind are given sight. And you say, what judgment? What, how is it that this, this judgment happens? Well, one of the ways this judgment happens is simply by continued blindness. Continued blindness. And furthered blindness, I might add. He says that those who see might be made blind. Those who see might be made blind. Do you remember how earlier they said, we know, we know that this man is a sinner. We know. And Jesus says, you know what? You might see with your physical eyes, but I'm not going to bless that. I'm going to judge that. If you're going to speak lies and refuse the truth, then guess what? You're not going to see. You're going to continue down and and the Bible even indicates that sometimes God actively blinds further people's minds and hearts from the truth because of rejection. Can I just urge you that more important this very day than your bank account or your 401k, more important than your marital status, more important than if your kids talk to you on the phone or not, more important than your job or anything else in your life, the most important thing about you is this. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ to you? You say, how is that such a big deal? Why is that so important? It's important because He is the only one that can forgive your sins. And one day, each of us will stand before God and we're going to stand before Him unforgiven or forgiven. We're going to stand before Him clean or we're going to stand before Him dirty. And the only one who can forgive is Jesus Christ. And He says, I've come into this world for judgment. And one of that judgment one of those judgments is that those who see might be made blind. This is that continued blindness. In verse 41, he goes further. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. I really thought hard on this, and I tried to get real specific. And I think he's appealing back to the original story, how if they had been physically blind, it wouldn't necessarily have been because of sin specifically. But the fact that they were so insistent that they could see and they know 
and we have the answers, and we know what's right, and we know what's wrong, and they're very self-confident. Jesus says, well, if that's your attitude, then your sin remains. That last phrase is a sad and a scary phrase. Therefore, your sin remains. Whose sin didn't remain? The blind man! The blind man's sin was gone. He was clean. He was pure. He was a child of God. He believed in the Son of God. And Jesus said, if you'll believe in Me, you'll have freedom. You'll have forgiveness. You'll have new life. But to these Pharisees, He spoke this strong word of condemnation. Therefore, your sin remains. You know what my question to you is? Does your sin remain? Do you line up with this blind man where there is a day where you bowed down and you said, I believe. I believe and I receive. I trust you and your work for my sin. Or are you described today by those in spiritual blindness that reject the truth and that don't accept the truth and that don't think through and and meditate on who Christ is for them? What a sad thing it would be to sit under preaching and to come to church or to to maybe have a, a history of religion in some way, and yet to get to the very end of your life and to stand before God and to hear these words spoken to you. Therefore, your sin remains. What a tragedy! But do you know that there are Pharisees that spent years of studying the law and they quoted the law and they fasted twice a day and they said, we have the Bible, we have the Bible, we have the Bible and they put all their faith in Moses and they went straight to hell. We could say it another way for our day. There will be people who say, oh, I like the Bible. I go to church. Oh yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, yeah, God likes me and I like God and there's never been a day I've been on my way to hell because I'm a good person. And they get to the end of their life. And what's the summary? Your sin remains. My story, and I hope your story, is that there was a day where my sin was canceled. Where it was removed. Where I was forgiven. The beautiful story here is that this man didn't just get his eyes back, but he had his spiritual eyes opened. He saw Christ. He saw that he was the Son of God. And if you had to pick between the two, you should take the second. Because to know Jesus for who He is, this is the greatest privilege of our lifetime. To be forgiven and to be welcomed as His child. And there will never be a day, there will never be a day for the child of God where God will say, your sin remains, off to hell you go. Because we have been made free. I hope you can say today, I've been made free of my sin, forgiven and cleansed by Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. We're going to have a time of response here. And we're going to have the pianist play. And this is just a time for you to bow your head and think about what we have heard today. And the simple question is, does your sin remain? Are you unforgiven? Today, God offers you His salvation in Christ. You certainly can receive Him on your own. We have Bible counselors in the back if you want to speak with someone. But I urge you, there is no greater decision than to trust Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin. To have your eyes opened to see Christ. If you have doubts, or maybe you know you are not forgiven, you're not on your way to heaven, you have no no certainty, today we offer you the Lord Jesus. 
If you want to speak with someone, you can step back right now. We're also going to sing in a moment, and there's a couple other ways you can reach out, and we can talk with you further. Just give it a moment.